people keep asking me, like, are you guys going to even continue without Jason? I was like, you know, there are other people on the podcast. All right, everyone, calm down. We can, I think we can make this work, America. So get ready. (laughs) Get ready for the new outrageous. Mm -mm -mm. Okay. Here we go. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we tackle race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friend, Trisha in Los Angeles. Hello. I'm actually waving. I know. No one can see it. Uh, <laughs> it's a much shorter intro, I have to say, than having to introduce the third person. It rolls off uh, your tongue. We miss you, Jason. So, uh, hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I've had very little sleep, but I'm I'm up up and kicking. Yeah, Trish has been following the Australian Open, so she gets up at like two a.m. <laughs> she watches tennis and she tweets about it, and nobody in the East Coast cares because it's the dead of night. I know. So, and I've got like two hours, two hours of sleep. Two hours of yeah. sleep. Well, this is <laughs> this is gonna be great. <laughs> don't fall asleep. Usually, I tell Jason that, but don't fall asleep. <laughs> Hey, I can see you though, so I don't think it's gonna happen. Yeah, I know. So usually we turn off. Usually we turn off the cameras because when we had three people on the call, it was like too much bandwidth. But now I, I get to watch your facial expressions as I jump from one crazy point to the next. I can't. We should just throw in religion just so I can watch you roll your eyes. <laughs> I'm not the one that rolls my eyes at religion. <laughs> you're getting us confused no no you you're such a big defender you're always like i'm not down with that whenever i'm like tearing it all down you're like well, i can't you're, you're with religion the way i'm with the electoral college you're like well i don't know actually i've have. always been like that though how how hard is it for me to give up on a friend it takes me forever i can't yeah, give up on you, things you go down with the ship i really do Meanwhile, <laughs> I'm like, I, I see smoke from like the rear deck and I'm already in the lifeboat. I'm like, bye. I mean, it's not a good way to be. Honey, you don't even need smoke. <laughs> <laughs> You're done from again. I'm a bad friend. My bad friend. <laughs> I don't think so. I think I'm too into going down with the ship. Let, yeah. let, let's find a happy medium. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, sometimes you need to be smacked around and be like, this person is shitty. Oh, Get rid God. of it, please. I am. But now I've gone the other way. I just add like one friend every five years. Then there's no need to lose them. Well, you're at a certain age. Remember when you were in college? I know this is so cliche, but like when you're like 17 or 18 and you go to college and you meet like all these people and you're like, the next day you're like, oh, there's my friend. And you're like, I know. what? I just... <laughs> met you and people you don't know anything about and usually your friends if it's a white person usually your friends right until they say something like really really racist they're from like the middle of new hampshire or ohio or some other place like that and you're like whoa and that's the beginning of the education that you just can't run around calling everyone your friend college it's such a special time because that's all you're open to you're just you're ready you're like in college i'm gonna make all my friends and then you realize that that's like really the only time you're going to add people on that quickly. I just don't do that anymore. I I, but that's a function of age. I think that's age, absolutely right? a function of age and not necessarily a function of the situation that you find yourself in at college. I think, I think young people are, uh, 
I mean, forgive me, young people who are listening. I know some of you do, but young people are just lame. Like they just what do you mean? they're just open. They're open, but because they're not complete people themselves, they can't sense or seek completeness in other people, or at least um, consistency in other people, because they're not consistent themselves. And I think that's the thing you get as you get older is that, you know, you meet people and you can kind of like test them for consistency. Like, and by consistency, I mean like a wide range of constellation of behaviors and ideas that all hang together. Is that why people don't add as many friends as they get older? Because of like, I mean, also you get older, you're lazy and you get set in your ways. When we started this podcast, did you not say, look at this, look at this thing that I'm wearing. How old is it? Like you just get set in your ways and you stop caring. I had this sweatshirt for 20 odd years or, you know, you, you get older. And so like the people around you're like, meh. And, and new people are just too much effort. Oh God, that sounds really sad. I need to change that up a little bit. I mean, it's sad, but like I, I made a, a concerted effort to make new friends in the past, uh, three years, like the last six years for sure, but the last three years, just because when you all fled New York and I was left with no friends, I was like, well, let me make new friends. But I do think that there's a lot of pressure in college to make friends. My cousin is 18 and she's at college. She's like stressed out the fact she's like, when am I going to find my Trisha? When am I going to find my Jason? I was like, so sweet. I was like, I was not friends with those people at first blush. So I was like, just relax. I was like, Trisha couldn't stand me. No, I did. Oh, um, up on first viewing, I guess. Um, on first um, viewing, you couldn't stand me. And I thought Jason, Jason was my boss when I first met him. I thought I was going to get fired. <laughs> that was so bad. Well, wait, I think, uh, but you know what? It's funny how it's funny how a friendship will creep over you. She'll find a friend and they'll be friends. And then she'll realize, wait a minute, I found my friend. You yeah. Know? And then that's how, that was how it was with you. I was like, I was like, this bitch, I keep talking to her. What the hell? Winter break. I was like winter break 1993. I was like, why is she in my room again? <laughs> See, this is the convenience of like college and dorm living was the fact that you really didn't have to go that far to find people. I mean, literally stumble out your door, literally go to the bathroom. I know and- it was a real stress though. Remember I was real popular freshman year, but that was because I was Trisha doing everything for everyone. I had mm-hmm. like too many friends. Yeah. And as soon as I said no once or twice, whew, that list gu- dropped off quick. <laughs> <laughs> that was when I realized, Oh yeah. When you start saying no to things, yeah. that friendship. Also, <laughs> also you were a bitch. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, you know what? Never, I can't even. I, I can't even disagree. <laughs> in the lounge in college, introduced you to a friend of mine, and you guys are talking. Have a perfectly good conversation. You were a senior at the time, and then he reveals that he's a sophomore. And the words <laughs> out of your mouth? <laughs> what? I've been wasting my time talking to some mealy mouth sophomore for the past twenty minutes. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I was enraged. Uh, but that's not just though. who you were. <laughs> I was about, so not. You're not even apologetic. Wow. I'm not even. You know what? I was done. I remember who I was senior year. And I was so over college by then. Remember? I was just tired. <laughs> I really was. Oh, my God. Oh I God, do oh remember. God. He was so lovely, too. He was attractive. He, he really was. He was a lovely person. Do you I really... remember his name? Friend that you were? <laughs> I don't remember his name. I barely, I remember he was tall and thin, but the, he was white, tall, and thin. I don't remember his name. I remember I anything. You said that out loud. Oof. You, oh, you said a lot of things out loud. I was. Um, let's, uh, 
let's have a separate podcast topic about all the things Trisha said. <laughs> I should return a little bit to that. I don't even do that as much anymore. Now I just now I'm just loaded. I just give a loaded yeah. look and I look away and I go. You can you can see that kind of behavior on Real Housewives of whatever. That's oh, what you were doing. Shit. You know what? They should totally do that. <laughs> what? Do what? They should do that. Actually, you know what I saw? I think I saw that, that they were either going to, um, I think they were going to do like a reality show at an HBCU. I, I think, don't like this idea. You don't like it? I don't like this idea. We already have a different world. Go back and watch it. Look, I know everything's on the table with reality TV nowadays. Okay, fine. But like, do we want to be pushing into people's college experience? I, you remember how stressful college was? We had, we had shit to it do. It is. It is a we lot. We had shit to do. And like, to do all that shit and then sit in production meetings, I just feel like if they find kids, and they will, who are willing to risk their college career like that, I mean, sure, not be black kids because it's just going to be harder for them. You know, you, you get a bunch of white kids going to a party school, they'll be fine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I'd rather it not be at a historically black college. I don't know. I mean, if it's, it's, it's hard. You know, obviously, we know, the, we know the manner of, like, reality TV and how it's structured. But I think it could be great. I think people could learn a lot. You know? Maybe you have to, But I really don't think it should have freshmen. Although they, be, they'd probably be, be more interesting. But It should be a documentary. It shouldn't be a reality show. Because the demands of a reality show, as we talked previously on the podcast about the KKK thing, the demands of a documentary are different from a reality show. And I, I, I would prefer that. People can learn about HBCs. I'm not, I'm not down with that. Man, you just took all the fun out of it. Yeah, I, I took – listen, I will take the wind out of sails. <laughs> you literally – my job. Uh, so let's just jump into it. Speaking of taking the wind out of sails uh, – it has been <laughs> since Donald Trump has become president. It has been a whirlwind of uh, evil, just absolute mind-stopping evil. We can go through an entire list, but by the time you hear this, this list will be twice as long. Most recently, to the taping of this, he's decided that certain people can't come into the country, which is, I think, it's unprecedented. But I did not check before we recorded. And so, well, I mean. He dropped this on Holocaust Remembrance Day, yeah. And people, people were um, one of my Twitter feeds were actually doing a segment on people who had been turned away from the United States. You know, there were some Jews who had been turned away on on refugee boats mm-hmm. to get in the U.S. So I guess we have actually turned people away in the past. But but how? I'm going to look that up because I'm curious how and why they were turned away. Because I think what what's what separates what Trump is doing now. Is sort of just wholesale writing off entire countries. So yeah, for whatever it is, and, might, and shutting down refugees altogether. I, that seems a little bit. I think that might be unique. I think that might be unique in the sense that we've actively listed countries. We've actively like clarified exactly who can't come in, and and we've and we've made motions that Christians will get preference, which yeah. is absolutely new. Totally new, and also I think we've also rejected people who have a legal right to be here. Yeah, I which, mean that's been the side effect of um, this latest ruling or latest so, order. I mean, we could spend this entire podcast, and people do talking about <laughs> Donald Trump oh, God, and all no. the horrible things that he's doing. But as always, I want to take the camera back. Now that this has happened, now that we've seen what his first week is going to be like and what his first hundred days might be like, 
is this the moment for I told you so? And if so, is anyone listening? Will anyone care? Is, was anyone disappointed or surprised by what happened, what Donald Trump did in this first week? Who was the constituency that wanted this? And here's my controversial question. Do those people matter at all? Okay, you know, one thing I've been thinking about before Obama left, I think he tried to reassure the American public that sort of the, the motion of D.C. is slow. Mm-hmm. You know, the bureaucracy, things are going to um, the middlemen, like, and all the people who are part of the cogs in the system. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised at how swiftly people acted upon some of his executive orders. Who, what, many of them are, which are sort of illegal. Because one of the things that people will say to you is, oh, well, Obama was like the king of executive order. But he took quite a long time before he was able to even put them forth because he wanted to make sure they could, they were on legal stand, they were on good legal standing. Because mm-hmm. um, even though you do, you have the power as a president, there still has to be legal precedent for the things that you want to happen. Mm-hmm. That's not what's happening here. And so what I'm somewhat surprised by is how many people who are willing to just do what Trump says like he's a king. That's been a bit of the surprise. It's like, wait a minute, you don't understand your role enough that you have to make sure this is a legally viable thing for you to do. For, for example, his latest order, as we talk about, there I mean, there was a there was a there was a supposed to be a pause on it, particularly I think in Virginia. A judge in Virginia said no. And the folks at the airport continued to follow what Trump had said. So I So it's the it's the enthusiasm yes, that surprises. Not not surprises, but the enthusiasm suggests to me why we ended up with Trump. These people mm-hmm. wanted to do this. But that's the thing, because I, I think the resistance I expected some resistance from the cogs in the system, like, no, let's make sure this is like what you're supposed well, to do. Well, no. when you talk about resistance, there's, I mean, the people have really jumped up. There were massive demonstrations at airports across the country. Here in JFK, there was a massive demonstration because there had been some, oh gosh, they weren't Syrian, but there was there was a couple yeah. who had to turn back. They had green cards and they were in the air returning. And when they got to JFK, they're like, sorry, laws are different. We don't want your kind here anymore. And so there was a massive uproar. I think there's resistance. What you're saying, though, is that the people, the, the machinery yes. of, of the executive machinery and even the judicial machinery yeah. has been very quick to jump up and say, oh, okay. The, if the da, president da, da, da. says it, we have to do it, which is I, shocking because when Barack Obama was doing that, even, I don't, though, I don't he, know. even though he had done the legal work to make mm-hmm. sure he could, there wasn't that sense of, well, let's get to this. We, we have to do what he says. We have to execute what the president says. This is really, that's really been to me why I think in his early days, I think President Trump's experiencing like, and um, people are experiencing like a shock and awe because people are, have been fairly quick to jump to attention. Is this the last desperate gasp of old ideas? You know what? People want to comfort themselves that way, but I really don't buy it because I think one of the things that's becoming very clear to me, and I think parents probably understand it better than anyone, anyone right? When you have rules, they don't matter unless you stand by them, right? Mm-hmm. I think people, even though we're a nation of laws, the laws don't mean anything if people don't 
recognize that they don't have to do something if it's illegal. To be clear, looking past the resistance of the public, you're yeah, saying the, the public- people, you're saying the people in the machine are very quick to jump on this. Yeah, but but I mean, but and you said, but to my question, but okay. So this is what I'm thinking. Let me just put this out here instead of trying to tease it out of you. Yeah, I do feel like this is the last desperate gasp of a bygone, bygone ideas. And I feel as if the machinery, as you are talking about, has been full of people, roughly 50% of them with our two-party system, who do believe that they want the country to shift somewhere else. So Donald Trump is the perfect smokescreen to get all this stuff done. My thinking is this. I think the rank-and-file Republicans know that he is heading towards a cliff. And I think that they are trying to use his executive orders to get as much of their agenda done before he is impeached. I, I, I believe that because the stuff he's going to head towards a cliff and neither the Senate Democrats nor the Senate, nor the Senate Republicans are going to be pleased by where he ends up. So they're just, it's a, it's a fire sale. They're grabbing as much as they can. You're far more hopeful than I am because what I believe is I believe that the Republicans and the Democrats won't recognize the cliff when it comes. Because one thing that has actually emerged um, recently is that Donald Trump has um, signed on to be a candidate in 2020. He's already started that process. Well, of course, he's the incumbent. I know, but Obama did it in 2011. To do that. He did it like five hours after his inauguration. And he's also running a campaign as president, which means that he's showing ads and collecting money from citizens, asking them to support his agenda. That's never happened before. We've never so had... So what meaning you're assigning to that? What I'm saying is that this man is breaking protocol left, left and, and right. right. And people who are not up on the law and some of the people mm-hmm. who, whom he's um, you know, assigned to various tasks, like... I don't think that there's going to be enough pushback internally for us to stop ourselves from going to a place where we can't retreat. So while I do understand this, this notion, I've been hearing it quite a lot from people like, oh, you know, this is the last gasp. I think that is a very, very slippery slope and a very lazy way to come at it because he's very effective right now completely changing the landscape and fr- frankly distracting us so powerfully that it's really hard to get things done that's one of the things i've been really that's one of the things i've been struggling with i'm like this is we're like maybe by the time you all listen to this we're going to be two weeks into his presidency week one was exhausting oh my god it was it was like this 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 how do you fight someone who's changing things up daily and that daily level, hour, hourly hourly hour to hour i get news alerts and it's like i'm reading it's like i'm reading a book slowly like some terrible dystopian novel <laughs> so you, our inability to settle into something i think that's really powerful i really do and i think before we can sort of turn like right now steve bannon has now been escalated up into a position where he's part of national security briefings that's never happened before never ever happened before and the question becomes, who's going to react to that? You had Obama blocked at every, every turn by Republicans who were like, uh-uh, this is not a part of the rules. They were really staring and looking at the rules and making sure. No one is doing that now. And definitely the Democrats aren't doing that. 
So I, while I understand the resistance externally, I believe, I think we are the only ones preventing Donald Trump's administration from being as effective as it could be. The Democrats are silent. Silent. I wonder, uh, do I wonder why? Meh. I, the Democrats have failed so abysmally, abysmally. the last generation. And now when this is their moment to shine, when the ball has been fumbled and all they have to do is pick it up and run with it, they hesitate. And that career, career politicians, that's all I can think about. But the field is wide open. A Democrat could rise up and create a presidency for themselves. They could absolutely take over a generation of Americans, but they fail to do so. And I'm, I'm not certain I can see through. And why? Why would, they, why would you fail to see it? Why would you fail to do it when you see the resistance? Like one of the things that's become become clear is like the American public is doing its job. We're doing our part. People yes. are marching. People mm-hmm. are showing up. People are calling. People are doing everything they possibly can. The question then becomes, what's the role of the Senate and folks in the House? What do you guys do? How do you all help the public that's resisting? How are you taking this on? And maybe I'm being a, maybe I'm being a bit dramatic. But given the way the Republicans are lighting themselves on fire, if you're a career politician and you have enough vision, right, you can design your way to move around Republicans the way that the Republicans have moved around Democrats. We could capture the House and the Senate. If the Democrats were aggressive, if they were out there, I know my representatives are, right? My senators are absolutely out there. My House representative is definitely out there protesting. But like if the Democrats en masse were like, okay, we're with you, American people. We're going to resist as you're resisting the streets. We're going to resist in both houses of Congress. And, you know, remember to vote in 2020. They could – these people are mobilized. They're energized and they're already out in the streets. I see what you're saying. They're career politicians. They're thinking about down the line. But down the line could be a Democratic majority for the next three or four cycles if they play this right. That's my thing. Like why don't they play this right? Listen, I don't get it either. It's clear to me that even Trumpers, because I have to say, there have been some Trumpers who have, I mean, in one of the latest, you know, memes that have gone around, one woman has, her husband was unable to re- return to the country and she had voted for Trump. And I Whoops. was just like, oopsie. Yeah, but I, I think there are enough people that are seeing the landscape that Trump is creating that there's room for a real resistance in the Senate. Congress. Yeah. And in because the thing is, before there are people who were blocking blocking Obama just because. But mm-hmm. this time around, you can actually block the president, not just because, but for real legitimate reasons. On grounds of what America <laughs> means and, <laughs> and what's legal. Yes. And what's morally correct. So their failure to do that has been astonishing to watch. And I tell you, these people who are saying yes to cabinet members, I think think the thing that Democrats are thinking is this. Well, they hate the Republicans, so I don't necessarily have to do much because when time comes, I'm going to be left. I'm the only option left to them. But I tell you this right now. I tell you this right now. What's the difference between you and and a Republican, if you say yes to everything that's going on, I mean, I'd rather just, I'd rather have the, I'd rather like any, like they used to say in the back in the day, the evil you know. At least with the Republican, I know exactly where you're standing. But with this Democrat, like, why would anyone say yes to Sessions right now? 
And so, and especially given what's going on in his track record, he's the worst person to put in right now. Exactly. And to my mind, because, I mean, we've been blamed for it a lot. People of color have voted heavily for Democrats. Any single person that says yes to Sessions should be out. I mean, he's already said what he thinks about us as people. Mm -hmm. And we've already seen what it was like when they came for the Muslim. And, you know, there's a lot of pushback on it. I'm not so certain that when they come for us, because I fully anticipate that we will we will be on a line at some point. I'm not one of those indulgent Americans. So I get that we are under attack and there will be threats to our to our movement. Mm-hmm. You know? I get that. So my sense of it is like, why would you betray the people who have been voting for you consistently by saying yes to sessions? As you I put think- out, the Democrats are still playing by the rules. The Republicans have taken, they've taken the rule book, they've thrown it in Democrats' faces, and Democrats are busy picking up being like, but it says here on page four. Exactly. And, and if Democrats could take the page out of the Republicans' book, the Republicans are very much scorched earth. They don't mm-hmm. give a fuck. They don't give a no. fuck who they offend. They don't care who they have to run over to get what they want. And it works. I understand about taking the moral high ground. I understand like, oh, we're not going to operate like that. But in this current environment, you absolutely should operate like that. Like you told me last week, this is not the kind of villain you work with. This is the kind of villain you crush completely. And you must. And if you don't feel empowered to do that for the safety of the most vulnerable amongst us. Quit, then resign and someone will rise up who can. And I honestly believe that. That's the hashtag going on on Facebook, resist or resign. The end... And tweet that to all your representatives because it's, it is what it is. Do not vote for any of these nominees. Do, do not sign off on any Trump legislation. Any representative who does is not getting my vote. It, you cannot work with the void. You, you can't do it. Anything times zero is zero. Sorry. I mean, and I think that seems like a harsh thing, but it's clear. No, it doesn't. Mm-mm. It does not. It does not seem like a harsh thing. And it's, it's not – I. I I can hear myself talking on both sides of my mouth. Like at one side, the Democrats should play really terrible hardball. On the other side, we should take the moral high ground. But my point is at this, at this point in history, those two things actually run parallel. They're together. The moral yeah. high ground is to not participate. Mm-hmm. That, and, and the fact that there's some confusion about that is worrying to me. But then the other thing is, where are the third party folks? <laughs> I mean, like, where where did they disappear to? Who cares? No, what, but let's, why, be, let's be honest. But listen, this is a vacuum for them too. Because but, these but, are, but because, wait, because, before we go down this road, Trisha, are you bringing this up because you want to engage? And I told you so with the Jill Stein and and, nope, and not at all, not at all. I'm not interested in that. Not at all. Listen, listen, I can't get over it so much, but I'm not going to do that in this podcast. I have so much rage for people who bought into the Jill Stein Bernie Sanders universe. I, not Bernie Sanders. No, I, I I still have problems with Bernie Sanders people. Um, oh, shit, Trisha, that breakup I, was intense. Listen, I am hardcore. I am hardcore because I do think Bernie Sanders people were just as much fantasists as Trumpers in the in the magical way that they thought the U.S. was going to be transformed. But I'm actually asking this legitimately: if you are a third party candidate, that in local government so to speak. Because this was always my question is if you are legitimately third party, why don't you work to get like local seats like the Tea Party did? Mm-hmm. So if you are someone who thinks um, that you think you think that there should be a viable third party, 
why aren't I hearing any of these people talking now so that they might be able to make themselves be heard in midterm elections when the Democrats fail us? And we look around and say, I need to vote for somebody else. Where are those people? Like, that's been surprising to me. The silence has been deafening. The American public has been speaking loudly. So I'm wondering, I mean, did this completely mess with our election system? Like, where did it, where did those people go? It's an interesting question. And where are the leaders? You think about the the leaders from like, just where are our leaders? I mean, Not I even have our leaders. Where are, the, where are the new leaders? This situation is a fire sale. You can it's, claim a stake yep. anywhere and get constituents immediately. Not the usual And it's as you say. Too. Not if I stood up and I was like, forget Democrats, forget Republicans, you know, we're the what's right party and this is yep. what we stand for, I would have thousands, if not hundreds of thousands signing up, signing up for that on day one if I could get out a clear and consistent message. I blame the internet. I'm going to come back to it. I, I, I blame the internet. What, tell me, what, you know, let me just say that there is one person that has emerged as a third, a really viable third. That's Evan McMullen. He has recently started, I think, a group. And he's mm-hmm. like, and he's like, I listen, listen, this is a Mormon. And he's like, listen, I'm I he's working with like he's working with gays. He's like, listen, we're on this is about America. So come together here. And he's the only one that's trying to eke out a sort of third space. Bernie okay. Sanders. You know, Bernie Sanders, you know, yes, he's spoken. Elizabeth, she's spoken, blah, blah, blah. But there's, to my mind, I feel like those two are so tainted that unless they act in Congress as they should, they're not the ones to lead the resistance. I'm already disappointed about where they ended up. So I'm Exactly, right? So, I mean, you know, that's my problem with Trump. I mean, that's my problem with Sanders. Sanders still thinks he can work with Trump. He's the one, when I said you can't work with a villain, he's that guy. He's the Mm -hmm. guy that's like, well, if this ends up yielding a good thing, let's make it happen. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put a kibosh on that idea. You can't. Anything times zero is zero. There's no coming back from that. Anything times a negative comes up negative. You can't win there. And and if you think you can, you're you're fooling yourself. There's no way that happens. I want to just follow up on something I said because I just don't want to just leave that hanging. What I said about the internet. Um, yeah. What's that? What do you want? Are you you're always on about the internet? What's I'm the always on about the internet. You know why? Because I'm a devotee of Neil Postman. <laughs> True. Who was a NYU professor? Had a lot to say about media. And in the preface for one of his books, he says that there was such anxiety in the '80s that we were going to end up in the in Orwell's 1984, that sort of future. But really where we're ending up is Huxley's Brave New World in the sense that we are so inundated and flooded with information, so much of it contradictory, so much it seeming to appeal to us um, or trying to appeal to us that we can't actually filter any of it out. This is what happened with this latest election cycle with the whole fake news thing. Um, it's, there is... Um, it's what Bradbury references in Fahrenheit 451 is the idea that in the future books are burned and people are in their homes and they are exist in rooms with four walls complete with, te- with television screens. And those television screens are just talking heads constantly and every now and then they'll reference you by name. So your attention is put one way and then another and then another and you can't focus on anything. 
And I, I think that's where we are. When I say where are the leaders, I just don't, I don't know how you can get a groundswell around anyone when it's so easy to be distracted by a million different things. But also, you know, and they tried to do this with King in the 60s, but you can discredit people like that. It's like the Ken Bone phenomena. One guy in a red sweater asks a question, people rally around him, and then three hours later, his entire porn history is on the internet for everyone to see. I, I don't know how you battle that. I do, though. I think the, the way that we, we battle that is actually the, been the surprise, which is the resistance outside. Because, you know, I actually saw someone say, well, I don't even understand the idea of resistance. And it was very, someone very- Who high. said that? Listen, it was someone- Someone very, you know? Slap that person. No, it was somebody very highfalutin. And he's like, well, the reality is there's no resistance because Donald Trump was elected by the people. Usually when you talk about a resistance, it's something that's internal. And it's like, you know, it's recognized, you know, it's like with, when the government's gone off course, but the government's functioning as it should. I'm like, Gross. no, that's that not really, yeah, it was a really stupid interpretation, but- I do think, though, that one thing I have been reading, and it's heartening, is how many people want to enter the public sphere. They want to run for office. So Mm -hmm. I I actually do think that what you're having is we're not going to go with the old leadership anymore. I think that's what's emerging. Just like how we had the Tea Partiers, and unfortunately for us, those were crazy. I think we're going to have, we're having people who are saying, listen, if you guys don't want to believe in science, I'm going to run as a scientist, which I actually really celebrate because I've always had a problem with that separation that happens with academia, you know, people who are sort of staunchly about science and, and the rule of the rule and, and experimentation and all those things, all the wonderful things that science um, celebrates has always sort of like isolated themselves in academia or locked themselves off away in some sort of research institute. And it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't feel like it has any play with the, um, the public space. Now mm. there's a real, there's a real, there's just a real urgency in recognizing that your disappearance was noted and you need to come back into the space. You need mm. to make a case for facts again. Please. So I do, I you love know, facts. I love facts. So I do, I, I, and there's been an upswing in people, women registering to registering for, to run for office, which I think is great. So I actually think what we have to do is the fact that people are actually meeting face to face in these resistance moments in small towns and in big cities and seeing each other face to face and having that dialogue that Obama encouraged us to have. I think that bodes well. Because then you can't actually attack it in the way that we're not, but people aren't resisting on the internet. They're going physically to places in communion with each other to resist. And that's really valuable. Yeah. I that's, see what been what's been, that's been interesting to see that because I feel like we haven't had a chance. And so while initially I, there's a part of me that's like mm, marching, whatever, I do see why it's valuable. I see why it's valuable to get out of your house. I mean, the fact that people could, weeks ago, people converged at airports all over. Mm-hmm. There's something powerful there. And so when you're converging at an airport and you're exchanging information and you're talking about what the next steps might be, you can't just go and disappear back in your house and get on the internet. You saw the vitality of face-to-face time. And you met people who and believe you what you people. believe exactly. and we continue to organize. That's, that's actually a really good point. We should all resist. We should all have resistance meetings. Actually, I'm going to resistance meeting on Tuesday. I, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. And that's, that's been my thing too. It's like, I'm looking forward to meeting someone. I'm not the sort that's done what people have done, in, but I'm looking for the opportunity mm-hmm. because I do think that we have to get up outside of our bubble 
which is the internet bubble as you, I mean, that dastardly picture you you painted of Brave New World, the antithesis of that is leaving your house. And community, but absolutely. But I mean, you kind of support what I'm saying. I, I love the internet. The internet has been able to take us, this technology has been able to do things specifically around science that would have been impossible for sure. 40 years ago. Um, and I love that. But I think what it's, hap- what it's doing to our social fabric is something that we can't readily control or even understand. And it's reached this apex now. So I'm all for gathering. I'm all for communing with others in public. It's a lost art. And you're right, to avoid Huxley's Brave New World um, and even Orwell's 1984. I think so. I think we, everyone's we have to really Everyone, excuse me, everyone's really sensitive to 1984, but I, I think you're making... It's a bestseller again. I know. And I think what's really amazing about that is how sensitive they are to 84 and not, as you say, Brave New World, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really... But I, I've been heartened by the constant attention to meeting in public. And I think mm-hmm. that's really powerful. I think it's powerful for you to look around and say, oh, I'm not alone. So let's keep it up. I'm all for it. Yeah, every down. week. Every week, let's have an opportunity to get together with a group of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should. We're going to leave that there. Yeah. And I want to say my low key media recommendation. It's not my actual one. My low key media recommendation is everyone read Orwell's 1984, mm. especially the the addendum part about Newspeak. It's fascinating look into how language controls the way that you think. And so when you say things like alt right how that changes the way you can even think about those ideas. Uh, And everyone should read uh, Huxley's Brave New World because of the two of them, he predicted what our world was most going to look like. So we have a special guest. We are joined by uh, our very best friend, Marcella Tillette. Hello. Hi, how are you? So uh, since Jason has departed us for for, um, the glamorous life in the federal government, uh, we're going to have special guests on, and Marcy is our first one. So welcome. Mar- that sound you hear is Marcy's carbon monoxide <laughs> alarm that's going off because she hasn't put a battery in it. So Thanks she so may much. asphyxiate in the middle of this segment. If she does, it's been fun, I guess. So and I far. have witnesses, so you will call for help and you'll tell my story. <laughs> that's fine. Brutal. So uh, I, I want to talk about the Women's March on Washington, which happened the day after the inauguration of President Trump. And it they say it, it was it drew half a million women in Washington, but maybe up to five million. Well, I'm sorry, strike that. Not half a million women, half a million people, people yeah. in Washington and over half maybe 5 million people worldwide. There was women's marches um, in so many American cities, other countries, on all seven continents, Mm -hmm. even in Antarctica. On a barge. Those penguins, they got signs. (laughs) They got pussy hats. They got the work. (laughs) So, so Marcy, uh, we have you on because you actually were at the Women's March. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what your deal is. Yeah, it was exciting. I went to the Women's March in Washington, D.C. I went with the Planned Parenthood of New York City Action um, Action Fund bus. I work for Planned Parenthood of New York City, so I was uh, very excited to get a seat on the bus since I worked there mm-hmm. and um, went with a lot of our colleagues and supporters and volunteers. Everybody was really fired up, um, and it was just amazing. It was a really 
awesome experience. I described it to people before I left because people, you know, asked why I was going. And there was a question about, um, you know, why are you going to the, to the women's march? What is the point? And for first me, of all, yes. who asked you that? And <laughs> why is that somebody you converse with? But no, no, you know, <laughs> it's actually a fair even, question. Even because, people who yeah. support like women's rights and, you know, reproductive health rights and all the things that I stand for. The question was, what are you going to get done by going to DC for a day and right, screaming in the street? Right. It is a good question. And for me, it was really like a pep rally. I looked at it like this is the pep rally before the game. This is to get everybody energized and activated and screaming and marching. And then we did, we do the work. Then we Mm -hmm. face the fight. Um, But pep rallies are great and they're needed. You have to mobilize your troops and um, I don't know, fill the space with some love and then get started. So that's why I wanted to go. And I, I feel like that's what I got when I got there. It was awesome. It was really amazing. So, uh, Trisha, what's your impression of the Women's March? I want to hear your ideas about it. Okay, first, I'm not a marcher. Oh, so bad <laughs> of me. I'm not, you know? It's like, it's one of those things where I'm like, crowds, we're all moving in one direction. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs to sort of like fall in line. I don't know. But I did wake up that morning and I thought to myself, you know what? I think I want to go. I just want to be a part of something bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. And then I proceeded to look at the Metro map and realize that <laughs> it take me three hours because proper planning was essential <laughs> for the exactly. Women's March. Wait, you that thought was you, was gonna, you were going to drop in? You well, were going to really drop was. in? I was, I, you know, I'm used, to, I'm used to going on LA Metro. And I actually text a friend and I said, hey, what are you doing? Are you going to the march? Because I was totally going to be like, let's go to the march. Girlfriend was already on the way. Nice. You left New York at like 3.30 a.m.? I left my house at, it must have been about four because I think the bus was leaving at five. We left from our office uh, down on Bleecker Street, which is, is in Soho. And we headed south. Yeah. So I, yeah. I love three I love buses. This, we had three buses. I love this this vision of Trisha like sipping totally tea with a parasol, <laughs> being like, Should I go to the march today? Mm-hmm. Why not? At like eleven AM. Right. Meanwhile, I woke up in the middle of the night <laughs> to get on a bus. <laughs> oh, no, that's how spontaneous I was. Because you know what? I honestly didn't believe it was going to be as insane mm. as it turned out to be. LA yeah. actually had, I think. LA was serious. Yeah, it was big. It was massive. Mm-hmm. So much so that they couldn't actually march. Yeah. So um, once I found out, I was like, well, let me just pay attention to what's going on. Let me see what people are saying. And then I started seeing all of these sort of conflicting um, opinions about the march. Mm-hmm. It's centralizing white women. It's, um, you know, um, women who believe in abortion can't show up. I mean, all of these sort of weird contradictory things were happening around the march. But I, you know, similarly, I think... I found value in people getting together and seeing that they weren't alone. It had to have felt really good to suddenly be in this space together and say, Hey, we matter. You matter. This is important. You're not, you're not happy that this administration happened, Mm -hmm. you know, and to look someone in the face and say, okay, I get it. And there were some clever signs. And so, but I, I love the way you're thinking about it though, Marcy, this idea that, you know what? this is just to rejuvenate you, but then you mm-hmm. got to go out and do the next thing. Because for some people, they think with this the mark. march is just itch. Right. What do you mean? This is my problem with it, is that 
I mean, there's so many people showed up for this march. I mean, this is kind of a side thing, but if did, I mean, did all you people mobilize to knock on doors for Hillary? Like, all right, putting that aside for a second. Mm-hmm. I like what you said, Marcy, about it being a pep rally because then you have to do the work. But I do feel that like a lot of the energy around the march was about the spectacle of it. And a lot of those people, a lot, tons of them went home and feel like they did enough. Absolutely. And there are people who go to the pep rally, don't go to the game, don't play in the game. Like that is part of it. But there are going to be people who will look back on that moment and say, you know what? There were millions of people with me supporting what I'm doing. And the other beautiful thing about the Women's March is it was about women's issues, which are everybody's issues. It wasn't about reproductive health rights. It wasn't about, you know, equal pay. It was about everything. It was about, you know, clean water, clean air, um, our economy. Everybody had their own little like niche issue that they were concerned about. And that's what they were speaking out about. Because unfortunately, with this administration, everything is under attack. So whatever Mm -hmm. your issue is, grab onto it and do some work because it is at risk. It is being threatened. So in that March, you saw so many different viewpoints represented and people were mobilized. And I think that's the key. Like that's what you have to then take from the March. You get energized and then pick an issue, go home and dig deep. Were were lots of different groups energized. I've read a lot of posts from people of color who were at the March who said what what Trisha referenced earlier is that the march sort of centered white cis women. Uh, what was your experience being there? So there were a lot of what I would probably describe as white cis women there. But if you made it to the mall and you listened to the speakers, it was extremely inclusive. Angela Davis was there, right? Angela Davis was there. Janet Mock, I believe, was there. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a beautiful uh, speech by this little girl. I think her name was Sophia. Adorable. Oh, the oh my gosh! I and when she, this. it was it was beautiful. She had the tiniest little voice, and she said, "You know, I want to speak to the children and tell you not to be afraid." And she talked about like all the people who love them and how they should be strong and you know do their best and it on one hand was very sad that a child has to, you know, have this kind of conviction just for self-preservation, but it was also, I don't know. It was, it was reassuring. There was something very heartening about it to say that this child sees a brighter future and she is optimistic and she's determined not to just feel so beaten down as a six-year-old um, you know, it's like you are a child. You should be like eating Fruit Loop somewhere. But no, she's talking yeah. about she's got a, she's got to organize, rights. right? Yeah. She's a freaking community organizer standing on human rights principles, telling other kids in recess, "Don't be afraid." But that's where we are. Everything is under threat. So yes, the six year old has to go and speak to millions of people and say, "Hey, there are people who love you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid that someone is coming to rip your family apart." You know, I think what's interesting to me, Marcy, is that you say that um, when you were there, you were experiencing people there for many different issues, you know, Mm -hmm. but that's been lobbied as an attack against the march, that it wasn't it wasn't about one singular thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a unifying thing. But you are able. It wasn't meant to be. 
And you, you, for you, you don't think that that was an essential part of it and well, necessary. Also, no, and I think is... the messaging around it was that it was not, because again, there is not one thing that is under attack. We're not mobilizing a, around the one issue. I think the issue that is probably under attack that people are mobilizing around is human rights, like being able to exercise your human rights. And that takes the shape of so many different forms. So yes, everything is, everything is under attack and you have to be able to, um, I don't know, like I said, just identify what you're committed to and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and go in on that. I've heard that I've heard from conservatives, but not just conservatives that one of the weaknesses Mm -hmm of liberal marches like this is that liberals are obsessed with identity politics. So this march has to be about not just women's rights, but LGBT rights, uh, racial equality, workers' rights. It has to be all in there. And I understand what you're saying is that with this administration, he's just ready to burn it all down. So everyone has to get out there, Mm -hmm. but it bifurcates, trifurcates. It like, it's like shoots the message through a prism and the, the, the danger is always that it doesn't really hit the mark. I don't know. I'm just, I'm but throwing there it out there. No I don't know if I believe mark. that. But, the, the, but that's, I think that's the problem. Mm-hmm. We don't want to speak or think in any kind of complex form. Mm-hmm. You want to say, what is the singular issue? What is your issue? What community do you represent? And then what is your proposal? What is your argument? Mm-hmm. But that is not the reality of the lives of anybody of this country. Oh, this I country. don't disagree. But I, I know you're a longtime listener to this podcast. Yes. And you know how we feel about complexity. That we know. love complexity. But yes. we know complexity is not sexy at all. And, yeah. and complexity and, is not the American way. Like we like exactly. simple, you know. And that's why the movements on the right, yeah. I think, are they, they feel so powerful because it's like a single thing. Like we want to punish women for having sex. End of story. Like that's that and they can go directly there and and they can get some measure of success i've been this i've been really thinking lately i'm like how can we borrow from the republican playbook because look what they were able to do how are how are we always coming behind them but that's not true they did not have a singular issue either they want free access to guns Mm -hmm. they want even though they want less regulation on people they want more regulation on the lives and the bodies of women Mm-hmm. by the state. Um, they want factory jobs galore. They I want- know. They just they wouldn't be making chairs, widgets, <laughs> all sorts of bullshit. But they but they, they are <laughs> able the crap to, jobs that they want. They're able to have multiple messages but or multiple issues, but the message for each issue is very simple. Mm-hmm. But they hold all of those things at the same time and for some reason that's okay. But mm-hmm. then on the left you have just as many messages mm-hmm. or just as many issues on the left, you have just as many issues and each one has a message that's nuanced because again, we're dealing with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who might be impacted or represented by that issue. But nobody wants to take the time to have that conversation. Nobody wants to look at the nuances, but you have to, or you're missing the point. But you know, I think what the, I think what the, in terms of the right left issue, I think what the right is always prepared to do is to pick their singular person and then lobby hard for their particular position. I think what what happens on the, for example, they, not everyone liked Trump, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, they all lined up for Trump. No, they didn't. No, no, no. The ones on the right, like Christian right, 
they had problems with his moral leanings but you know what they were like listen at the end of the day he's part of that republican thing so let's just let's put a stamp on that republican and then we're going to have to do the battle afterwards what i find is that the left battles before <laughs> cuz in some ways people got confused should i go for hillary should i go for bernie should i go for this should i should i not even participate at all not recognizing that you know pick one person and then go hard and challenge that person with your platform. Well, to be fair, Trisha, there were approximately, I'll have to check Wikipedia, but there are approximately 740 people running for the Republican nomination, right? <laughs> but, right. But, so, at, but, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they mm-hmm. all coalesce. Listen, even right now, as he's leading the party, whichever direction they're going, look at how they straight to hell. Yeah. But look at how they still are aligned for the moment. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. that, I don't think that they're voting in a block. They may not all agree and they're figuring out, well, you know what? I'm going to have to negotiate for this afterwards or negotiate for this, you know, at some point in time. But when it comes down to, let me put a stamp on who I'm voting for. They do that. Well, I don't know. I don't know if we can say that they are voting as a block or they do that. They did that. Like they did that. Yeah. Yes, they Trump, did that. They did that. They did that. We don't know what's coming next. And I think right up until the end, there were people who were diehard Ted Cruz supporters who maybe at the 11th hour went and voted for Trump or they didn't vote at all. Or they no, they didn't vote for um, Hillary. They didn't they, vote for Hillary. <laughs> they voted for Trump. <laughs> I'm like, they're not crazy. No. They didn't vote no. for Hillary. But, but, but it I mean, wasn't that they were, you know, all in for Trump. I don't. I don't believe no, that. I don't think I don't think they all were in. That's what I'm saying. They're not all in mm-hmm. for Trump. They're not, but they did. The, they pressed the button. So, Trisha, if I could just day, tell me if you think valuable. this is this is what I hear you saying is that on the right there seems to be they do they do fall for um not fall for mm-hmm. on the right they gravitate towards someone and decide this isn't the perfect package for me, but this this person. Uh, embodies the ideals that I'm interested in, uh, anti this, anti that, shut this down, open more factories. And they'll just, they'll go after that person. Meanwhile, the Democrats have a lot of boxes to check. So they, between Bernie and between Hillary, there are a lot of problems with both. And that squabbling is what does the right, does the left in. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that you can't have multiplicity of points of view. That's clear. Everyone. I I think Marcy makes a very good case for that. But I think when it's time to act, they act in unison from the get go. You know, I'm going to stamp this vote and then I'm going to battle you afterwards. You know, that's one of the things I wanted the left to do. I'm going to stamp you, Hillary, and then I'm going to battle you hard afterwards. As well, no one, well was, but I, I also, I don't think that's happening. I think, it was again, hard. the people who, there are Trump's diehards and they are loud and they for get sure. a lot of attention. Sure. But I think for there sure. are a lot of people who voted for Trump because they, you know, bought into that whole crooked Hillary. And, yep. you know, I just can't trust her. That yep. whole, I don't know what it is, but, but her know, email. Not for me. <laughs> but her email. Like all these ridiculous things. And, <laughs> So they voted for Trump, but they are those, they are those secret Trump voters that, that we've all, we all saw that meme of that woman, that black woman with the lollipop. Yes. Yes. 
I love her. Unbothered and speaking yes. the truth. Who said, you know, her sign said, let's not forget X percentage of white women voted for Trump. And she was, she was just like, you know, I dare you to approach me about this sign because you know I'm right. And I like in the background of that sign, there's three white yes. women taking selfies. I know. Right. <laughs> Which I think is part My of the- point, exactly. Yes. But I do think that's part of, that was part of the initial critique of um, the Women's March. But I, 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 you know, I don't have a problem with that. I think that um, at the end of the day... With which part? With, with this idea that um, it, all, it all had to mean one thing. I mean, I, I, I think that's just one of those things where people sit around and say, okay, what's our critique going to be of the Women's March? Well, and I, okay. think this, I, I, I think this one's a good one. I and then, agree with you there. You know, what, what do you say? I agree with you there. And my, not problem, but my issue with the March in general is just the way that it was handled in the media and the way that people were discussing it. There was this fetishization of the fact that not there wasn't a single violent act. There was yeah, it was well, completely I mean, nonviolent. I mean, as if to say, I, but as if to say, well, this is the way that real this is the marches. Way that marches are supposed to go. <laughs> and there was a really great meme going around, which on the top, it had like two white women in pussy hats taking a selfie with the police. And then on the bottom, it was a Black Lives Matter protest where that black woman in like that that dark mm-hmm. green dress was being like approached by three men in riot mm-hmm. gear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like the fetishization of the fact like, oh, well, this was a good march. This is the way you do it. You put on a hat, you put on a pussy hat, and you go out and you go, I want my rights. And then you go back home and do nothing about it. Like- and to me, that was what was most jarring. And again, it's well, not but this my is problem. The thing. With the you're march. not talking about the march. You're talking yeah. about the coverage of the march. The march. I and know, that's what you're taking I'm issue with. I'm talking about the march. But I, you're I talking mean, about no, the march the, the as march it has is, been packaged and delivered to you yeah, by the media. The yeah, because I think that's what I thought was um, really interesting was the packaging of it afterwards, how they mm-hmm. wanted to have the conversation about it. Like, that's how people decided, what's the approach we're going to take about this march? We're going to say that there were no arrests. That's not something that the March organizers talked about. That's not something right. they emphasized at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think, I mean, and so in some ways it's kind of like um, the media is setting you up to attack a very valid right. event that happened. Right. And it's the divide and conquer piece, which is, listen, yeah, you want to focus on the non-arrest, but what about if I come back at you and say, maybe because at the, ultimately at the end of the day, you don't find white women particularly threatening. Well, I was going to say, like, you know what, I mean? like, like you know, what you say might be true, but we, we can't escape the fact that so many white women showed up, which meant that there weren't going to be policemen in riot gear. For sure, because they weren't well, going but I to. I think we also have to recognize that there was the march in D.C., but like you said, there were marches all over the country. There were marches all over the world. And yes, a lot of white women showed up because there are a lot of white women in America. I Honey, mean, let's be real. I mean, I, now that we, <laughs> hello, and they all voted in a goddamn block. <laughs> no, they didn't. Yeah, they no, don't, but like. <laughs> 53% you know, they... of it. <laughs> Alternate facts. That's not true. They didn't all vote in a block. But... But, like you can't be upset when you say, oh, there were so many white women Okay, yeah. Welcome to America. They are everywhere. I'm not upset about it. Or no, 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 no. Not upset that they were there, but upset that that was the coverage. Because yes, all all coverage has a slant. Everybody has an angle. Either mm-hmm. even if you're promoting like the principles that the march was organized on, you may leave out other factual, not alternative, but like real facts about the march. Um, but it's just it depends on what perspective you're trying to push. 
I have to say, though, I think that people who have been doing the work perceive the march very differently than people who are sort of like jumping on and having it as an adventure. Because I know mm. quite a few. Oh, like, absolutely. Like, I know quite a few nuns who, um, you know, who do the work daily. I yeah. love that you know nuns. I like, do too. First thing I do, I know. I met always. some of your nuns in LA. <laughs> I'm sure you did. She's a coterie <laughs> of nuns. Yeah. And they're great, you know, because they do the work every day. And so yeah. they understood the value of the march. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an end-all be-all. And I think it's the same thing with you, Marcy's, because because you do the work daily in your day-to-day life with right. what you're doing, you can say, okay, this is my moment to sort of get jazz, get energized, yeah. and then go back and do my work. Mm-hmm. I think there's this reluctance on other people's part to say, you know what? I don't want you to just show up for the march, damn you. I want you to right. keep doing the other thing. And that really like bothers maybe lifelong activists or folks mm-hmm. who've just been um, doing the grind all the time. And it just looks like people showed up for the party. Yeah. But I actually, I've been really thinking a lot about it. I'm like, listen, if we want to move forward, we're going to have to get those people too. Like, we're, we can't be resentful of the people who aren't doing it all the time. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like on some level, we have to figure out how to, if you're, if everyone was marching for this thing and we all want them to go down this, in this direction together, we've got to figure out what's that singular way to get them to go there. And it well, can't but I be- think, again, that's the issue. There is no singular issue there is no singular path for people to take but and there was a singular enthusiasm though yes yes gener- you know has but, to have but that's something. that's the mobilization force that should shoot you towards that thing you're passionate about and i think that's where we are going to lose people because if this was your first engagement in anything you know related to civil rights or speaking out or feeling like you're exercising your democratic um voice in a different way and you are expecting that every time you do something in the name of the movement, in the name of, you know, justice for people beyond yourself, if you feel like that is supposed to feel like, look like, be like this March, you need to just sit down and stop because you are going yeah. to be disappointed. Be disappointed. It, is, it is in the day-to-day, you know, very small acts, the grunt of getting the work done. The drudge work of getting of actually moving the a agenda social movement. Forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, n- people, everybody does not need to be, quit their job and go work for some nonprofit or, oh, you God, know, no. stake out some sort of, I don't know, live in front of the white house for the next four years. You don't have to do that, but people need to make a plan about how they're going to be active because the thing that does bother me and has bothered me since the March is this um, I've heard commentary from people who've either participated in the Women's March or other um, protests kind of activities and feeling like they should have been addressed or they should have been directed or, you know, it was disorganized or no one was listening to me. You just got here. And, and, you know, like you said, Trish, it's like people have been doing this work for decades Mm -hmm. and there is a and way somehow they're still doing it. Yeah. And it's, and it's not to say they've been ineffective, right. It's, it's it. not to say that they yeah. have failed at what they're trying to achieve. You know, some of it is just about um, kind of um, 
reducing the amount of damage mm-hmm. that can be done. Yeah. Even if you're not moving forward, you're not being pushed back or you're able to stay still. So there's different ways to measure success. And I was really annoyed. I was listening um, I was listening to WMYC, I think yesterday, and there was a caller that called into the Brian Lair show and she was talking about um, having gone to JFK to lend support. She wasn't a lawyer, but she... Um, you mean lend support after the immigration ban and the airport yes. protest? Let's call it a Muslim ban. I'm not. I'm not mincing words. Let's not call right. it an immigration ban because that's not what it is. His, okay. you know, um, veiled Muslim ban, um, and you know there were a lot of activists there to support people who were coming in um, to the country from those seven countries, and lawyers there to offer legal support, and other professionals who felt like they had. Uh, something to offer. And this woman, I think, had a background in maybe PR or media or something. And she called in and she talked about how disappointed she was that there didn't seem to be uh, enough direction. You know, (laughs) there were different leaders or different groups or organizations, and they couldn't agree upon what people should be doing. It's almost like she thought that she was going to a rally and she could sign in and get her assignment and then yeah. be told to work here, say this, do this. No, that's not how this works. A lot of time it's, there, there's, there's this, you know, ambiguity with this larger goal. Mm-hmm. And if you're new to it, you need to follow. You need to watch the experts that have been doing this work and you need to listen. You're not going to jump in day one and say, this is my contribution and this is the gap that I'm filling because you don't know what the gaps are. Mm-hmm. You need to pay attention and listen to see how people need your help, how, can, how you can be most useful. But people don't want to do that. People want to show up, and be put useful. in an hour or, yeah. or two and go home and say, you know what? I went and I did this thing. Yeah, like it was they're, an immediate like they're response. working at the food co-op. Right. It's this, it's, it's this, it's this need instant for gratification. instant gratification. Yeah. Instant gratification around changing lives. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So we're going to wrap this up. Marcy, will you stick around for a second? Sure. Because we're going to move directly into media recommendations, which is something oh, that you've gosh. seen, heard, or experienced, and that you think other people should see, hear, and experience. And we did not discuss that you'd be sticking around for this. But since you're here, why don't you tell us, uh, why don't you give us a media recommendation? Like right now? <laughs> yes, honey. That's <laughs> how the show works. It. I thought it was like, let's. I, I was expecting a commercial break, but you guys don't have commercials yet. Okay. We don't have sponsors because we talk a lot of shit about people. I know. Like you were all horrible. <laughs> um, hmm. I don't know if anyone has mentioned this yet. And I have not um, actually seen it, but it's been recommended to me and I'm very excited to see it. I'm going to see it next week. But uh, it's I Am Not Your Negro. Have you all talked about that yet? No, but I just saw it yesterday. Oh, and my I'm God. seeing it in a couple of days. That's awesome. Okay, so I'm going to see it at the, the Lincoln Center Cinema. And um, I'm really excited about it. I have heard great things. I, of course, am a long-term fan of James Baldwin. And it is incredibly timely. So, again, it's like these little doses of fuel. You know, you have to engage with material that is like a pat on the back saying you are doing the right thing. You're on the right track. Your voice and your work is needed. And I feel like I'm going to get a lot of that when I go to see this film. And I'm going with a friend who I don't think is um, as engaged in her day-to-day work. So I think it'll be um, really motivating for her as well. 
Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. So I'll be, I'll be seeing that. And Trisha, you already saw it. Yeah, I actually, I, I mean, I, I might want to lobby for us coming together and talking about it because it's really compelling mm. and really complex and really nuanced. And I was thinking about it again this morning and breaking down more and more and more things in it. And so I feel like I need a group to talk about it with. So um, I say let's let's get together in the future and talk about this. I'm not your Negro. Sure. That would yeah. be awesome. My tickets are for Monday night. So anytime after Monday. My tickets Monday. are for Thursday night. I asked you if you wanted to go and you were like, oh, I already have tickets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because when it was out before, it like it didn't have enough um, evening times and they just had like noon time. So I couldn't go. But Okay. So what's been all up in your craw? So I work um, at a wonderful organization and we have a book club running. And um, the book club, the book for the month of January was um, Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God. Oh, wow. Can I, I'm going to interrupt you right now. Sure. The first line of that book. Is amazing. I love it. And I quote it constantly. The first line of the book is, ships at a distance have every man's dream aboard. Oh, I love that. I love it because it's whenever I see a plane in the sky, I always remember that. It's just so true. But anyway, go on. What's so wonderful about Zora's book is that every chapter has has a start that's similar to that. You know, the another famous chapter, um, the the opening question, the opening line is, "There are years that ask questions and years that answer." I mean, she's mm-hmm. just brilliant. So I had never, embarrassingly, I'd never read any Zora. And so when this book came up as um, a possible read, I was like, well, here's my chance. And full confession, I, I'd gotten like close to the book club time and I had not read it. So I Googled online. I was like, shit, I need to get this book. Where the hell I? I found a, I found a, luckily, you know, luckily school kids out there. I found a PDF of it. Mm-hmm. Popped it up on my computer screen several times at work and just like on low breaks, I read through the whole thing. And it is a wonder. It's a wonderful, you know, it's a wonderful book. And part of what makes the book so fascinating is that as a person who's reading it now, it's so contemporary, right? This is mm-hmm. basically about a black woman's search for herself. But to imagine that this book was written in the 1930s, and that this was a subject matter, it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's amazing. It's amazing because, I mean, we don't even do that. I mean, we don't even do that now with like mass media and like storytelling about black women at the center and, uh, uh, you know, about life and love and loss and all mm-hmm. of that stuff. We don't even do that now. We don't even, we're not even allowed to have black women have that humanity. So for her to do that in the 1930s, was fantastic and then I don't know if you know there's all this back and forth there's all this backstory because she was really rejected by the black intelligentsia at the time she was a republican yes and heavily rejected by Richard Wright who thought that she in my in many ways when you read the critique of her by Mm -hmm. him it sounds like how black people critique and I hate to say it because they're not on par but it sounds like how black people critique uh, how people critique Tyler Perry it's like this is like slapdash art. It's um, it's it's it lowers us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just. But what's wonderful about it is that is like 
it doesn't do any of that. It actually claims us in the very best way mm-hmm. by by basically just letting our lives unfold on the page as real people. Wow, you love this book. You know, I'm surprised I do. I really yeah. am because you know initially you're going I was like, on and on about it. I'm sorry. I don't, it's, I, know, it's I don't think I, I don't think I've read the whole thing. I think I've read sections. Now that you're talking about it, I can't get like a the whole narrative through my head. So you um, should pick, I will it, pick up. it up. I have it here somewhere. I'm gonna. Yeah, I would encourage it. you to read it. But what's really, I think, the thing for you to really take to take into consideration as you read it is that this book was written in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. If you're reading it now, this feels completely contemporary and of the moment. And like, of course, you'd write a book about a woman and her journey. Why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. But think about think about what people thought of black people back then, and how revolutionary it was for her to write a book using um, using African American idiom as a central part of the story. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're trying to convince people that we're 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 you know we're better than that, you know <laughs> we're better than bad English, you know. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. you use bad English as the as the central way of telling the story. Mm-hmm. There's something really revolutionary about that. Yeah. Um, and you're letting the woman be who she wants to be. Well, check it out. I wish I had as strong a recommendation as you did. Sorry, it was so good. I, I wish I wish I could match that. I'm in the <laughs> middle of reading something now. Uh, it's called. Citizen and American Lyric by Claudia oh. Rankin. And a friend recommended it to me. And he was, he's a white guy. And he said that when he read it, there was like things about my experience. And now suddenly like it clicked for him. And I was like, oh, what is this book that's making <laughs> white people wake up? <laughs> so, I mean, I can't recommend it because I'm not done with it. So far, so good. Um, we gave her an award, so I can recommend it. Well, you can recommend it. Well, let's both recommend it next podcast. So I don't really have a media recommendation. I'm going to be honest. I This week, I have, honey, this week I have been reading up on Wikipedia articles on how to impeach a president. I've been reading every <laughs> news feed that. I could recommend find. Uh, you know what, I have, Actually, that? I have several... I have several mini recommendations, but what? What's your question? I was just about to ask you. I was about to say, so if you've been like trolling th- through news feeds, yeah, who and what have you found valuable? All right, okay. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make quick hit media Good. recommendations. One, everybody within the range of my voice, look up, understand uh, the impeachment process, and then once you do, find your House of Representatives member on Twitter and tweet at them as I did this morning. Tweet at them and ask them where we are on the impeachment process and what do they need for me as a constituent for us to get that going. Um, So do that. Other thing on Twitter, I have been following, I followed Dan Rather. Yeah. I followed my ex-boyfriend, Justin Trudeau. (laughs) Because he's so sexy. Uh, And sidebar, do you realize that the presidents of Mexico and, and Canada are hot? I just want to put that out there. <laughs> and now we're not friends with any of them. I, I know. God damn it. Uh, <sighs> and also I've been following um, John Legend's wife because she's hilarious on Twitter. Oh, she's great. Oh, my God. Oh my God you're, you're now fully – you're now a full-on Twitter. It's the only way I can get news. It's the only way I can get I news know, like, in the minute – because because the president is doing stuff every fifteen minutes, like I need up to the second. Uh, and the last thing that I, my other quick media recommendation is Hidden Figures. I saw it last night. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I had the same thing after I saw the color purple on stage. I was absolutely overwhelmed at the end of the movie. 
I was vibrating. I, I, I am overwhelmed by what black people can do, what black people have done in this country. I am overwhelmed by our power over everything, anything that we get involved in, we can make it better. And I was just overwhelmed by that. If you haven't seen Hidden Figures, I know Trisha already recommended it. This is a double recommendation. Please see it. Take your children to see it. Explain it to them. Like it's 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 a really great movie. I I, I can't say enough about it. I, I just I can't say enough about it. I loved it. And what the thing that you understand about this country is that look at what we were willing to risk. Yep. Just because we were willing to risk like losing the space race, which was important to us at a point in time. We were willing to throw that away because of ridiculous caste system ideas, ridiculous ideas we have about who's better than who and which bathroom you can use and which coffee pot you're allowed to touch. We were really, how much talent did we throw away in the last two centuries just because some people wanted to feel better and more superior than others. Could, would we have flying cars now? Would we have teleportation? There's no way to know. And you know what? What Syrian refugee would have come here yesterday and grown up to do fantastic things, but now they're prevented to do so and their lives are at stake? This country is filled of fantastic people and we need to do better. So back to my first mini recommendation Bother your House of Representative members today and tell them that they need to start impeachment process. And if they don't, they're up for re-election in 2020. All of them are. So that's my media recommendation. That was very cheerful of you. Well, let me tell you something. The time for cheer is over. We had a lot of fun the last eight years, and now it's time we have to pay. Now we pay the admission for the last eight years. (laughs) Work. Oh, the new militant outrageous. Ooh, I love it. Yeah, I, love I know that. I know you're down. So, uh, in our first duo episode, this was fun with our special guest Marcy. We want to thank Marcy for joining us. That was a lot of fun. Um, and we're gonna get more guests on if you want to get on the podcast and talk to us about something. Uh, if you have something you want to bring, we want to talk to you about it because why the hell not? It's our podcast, we can do what we want. So um, now it's time to say goodbye. Thanks, Trish, for the conversation. Thank you for waking my ass up early. Well, you know, I got to get you up. I got to get you up. All right, everybody. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Shut up and sit down.